This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, that familiar drawl of Jimmy Stewart is just around the corner as we hear another tale of the Old West and the cowboy who is fast on the draw. Jimmy Stewart was a major motion picture star known for his portrayals in films such as his film debut in The Murder Man with Spencer Tracy. He was loaned to Columbia for two Frank Capra films that proved pivotal in his career, one of which was Mr. Smith Goes to Washington in 1939. That brought him his first Oscar nomination. The other film, It's a Wonderful Life, has become a Christmas classic. Stewart grew up in the small town of Indiana, Pennsylvania, where his father operated a hardware store. He got his first taste of performing during his time as a young man. At Princeton University, he acted in shows with the Triangle Club, which put on shows for the school. Stewart earned a degree in architecture in 32, but he never practiced the trade. Instead, he joined the University Players in Falmouth, Massachusetts, the summer after he graduated. There, Stewart met fellow actor Henry Fonda, who became a lifelong friend. Well, Stewart uh, made his Broadway debut in Carrie Nation. That show did not fare well, but he soon found more stage roles. In 35, Stewart landed a movie contract with MGM and headed out west. In his early days, Stewart shared an apartment with Henry Fonda. The tall, lanky actor worked in a number of films before co-starring with Eleanor Powell in the 1936 popular musical comedy Born to Dance. That movie featured the Cole Porter hit easy to love. Another career breakthrough came with Capra's You Can't Take It With You in 1938. This comedy won an Academy Award for Best Picture and made Stewart a star. Stewart also played the lead in Capra's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. In tonight's show, Britt Ponzet, played by Jimmy, makes a trip through a mountain pass with two strange companions. The episode's entitled Silver Buckle. In a moment, you'll hear James Stewart as the six-shooter here on NBC. Later this evening, listen to the NBC Star Playhouse with one of your favorite stars. Here, meet the press, America's number one newsmaking program. Listen to the new Sunday at Home, and be sure to keep tuned for the dramatic story of communism in America on Last Man Out. It's a wonderful lineup of great programs, all of them heard only on NBC. James Stewart as the six-shooter. The man in the saddle is angular and long-legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl, its handle unmarked. People call them both the six-shooter. The NBC Radio Network presents James Stewart as the six-shooter, a transcribed series of radio dramas based on the life of Britt Ponsett, the Texas plainsman who wandered through the western territories, leaving behind a trail of still-remembered legends. The twilight wind carried the sound of the train toward the two figures who waited, hidden in a clump of maple trees. The sandy-haired man knotted a blue bandana at the back of his neck and pulled it over his face. He mounted his horse and gestured to his companion. 
The other man fitted a soiled handkerchief across his mouth and climbed into the saddle. A touch of spurs sent the horses forward. The train was crawling up a steep grade now, and the riders guided their mounts alongside the slowly moving cars. And then they lifted their boots out of the stirrups and swung themselves up onto a small platform behind the tender. A flicker of lamplight glinted on their revolvers as they opened the door to a passenger coach and stepped inside. For several minutes, the riderless horses continued to pace the clattering wheels. And then the door opened again. Two men pitched off the platform and rolled down the slope of a barren ravine. And in response to the whistle, the horses trotted up to him. All right, let's go. Sheriff, it just wasn't any cause. Carl was deep, and all the noise the train was making, he couldn't understand what they wanted. Yeah, I know. He couldn't understand a word. He tried to make out what they were saying, but he couldn't. And when he didn't hand it over... Well, we'll get him, Mrs. Davis. Don't you worry about that. The posse's meeting here, we'll start out tonight, and we won't be back until we get him. That won't do Carl much good. Well, at least we'll make sure they don't kill nobody else in cold blood. If only I hadn't to give him that belt. If I just hadn't to give it to him. Belt? It was my anniversary present to Carl. We were married 25 years last week. That's... That's why we was taking the train trip over to Cheyenne. And, and that's why I give him the belt. The buckle was sort of silver-like. What did that have to do with... It was the belt they wanted. But Carl didn't understand when they asked him... He'd already handed over his money and his watch, and, and then one of them noticed the belt, and he said, That buckle's silver, ain't it? Give it to me. Carl couldn't make out what he was talking about. And the fellow got real mad, and, and he jabbed a gun into Carl's side, and, and he pulled the trigger without even giving Carl a chance now, to... Easy now, Miss Davis. Even though Carl was dying, that outlaw took the belt off him anyway, and... It wasn't a silver buckle, Sheriff. It just looked like silver, but... But it wasn't the real thing. <laughs> I sure must have been sleeping sound, or I'd have heard them ride up. Of course, they've probably been as quiet as they could under the circumstances, but I usually wake up when I'm out in the range and somebody's prowling around my neighborhood... Well, Scar, he heard him. He let me know it. Why, what's the matter, boy? What's the something? It still wasn't dawn, but there was enough light so that I could see the barrel of a forty-five and a firm-mouthed fellow standing over me, pointing the gun at my head. Howdy. What's your name, mister, and what are you doing out here? Well, I was sleeping. Don't get funny. We want straight answers and we want them quick. Are you two of you, huh? At least two. Oh, we're waiting, mister. My name's Ponsett. Britt Ponsett. That's right. And as for what I'm doing out here, well, this is a free range. A man's got a right to cross over it and stop off once in a while and take a snooze. If he takes a mind to it. You trying to claim you're the six-shooter? I'm not claiming anything. You asked my name, I told you. How do we know you ain't lying? How do we know that's who you are? I guess you don't. Unless you're willing to take my word for it. Let's see your gun, mister. How's that? I've heard folks tell about the gun Britt Ponsett carries. Oh? No, well. don't touch it. I can see it plain enough. What do you think, kid? Uh, I guess he's Ponsett, all right. Least ways that six-shooter sure fits a description. Oh? Besides, it didn't seem very likely he'd be one of the fellas we're looking for. Huh? Well, there's two of them, and he's out here all alone. Oh. Of course, they could have split up, but fellas on the run ain't have to do that. Yes, right. Well, uh, we're uh, sorry if we woke you. Mm-hmm. It's getting up time anyway. Just, uh, just who is it you boys are looking for? 
A couple of outlaws held up the Cheyenne train last night about uh, four miles east of Black Ledge. Oh, that's all. Yeah, there was some shooting, too. One of the passengers. We're out hunting the bandits. And my name's Kit Springer. This is my brother, Lex. Oh, yeah. Pleased to meet you. You fellas all along? Oh, no, no. There's a posse. A little way back. Sheriff's leading them. But he thinks the robber's headed for Patch Canyon, so he's taking the posse there. We don't see it that way. You don't, huh? We figure them outlaws will try to get through Miller Pass. If they can make it, they'll be in the clear. Well, that sounds reasonable. You, uh, ain't seen nobody tonight? No, no, I can't say I have. Hmm. Reckon we figured wrong, then. They'd have to come by here on their way to the pass. This is the only trail, ain't it? Yeah, that's right. But not saying them doesn't guarantee they weren't around. Uh, the way I was sawing wood, they could have stumbled right over my bedroll without me knowing it. Well, I guess even if our hunch was right, we couldn't find them now. Why is that? We don't know the route from here on. We ain't never been through the pass ourselves. Say, you ain't traveling in that direction by any chance. Mm, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I am. I'm riding over to the Jefferson Ranch on the south slope. Well, that's great. <laughs> Looks like we struck it lucky for once, Lex. What do you mean, Kip? Well, maybe Ponsett wouldn't mind us riding along with him, seeing as how he knows the way. And if we did run into them bandits, it'd be three of us to take care of them. Yeah, sure. Well, I'd be mighty glad to have some company, but it seems to me like you're letting yourselves in for a pretty long trip, just on a hunch. It's over a day from here through the pass, and there's no certainty the fellows you're after have even taken this trail, you know. Oh, I guess we can spare the time. There's a $1,500 reward being offered. $1,500? Oh, wow. If the posse does catch him, the money will be split 40 ways to breakfast. We won't be losing out on much. But if we run into him ourselves, well, you see what I mean. Sure. Uh, that sure. is, if uh, you ain't got no objections. No. No, no. Like I said, I'd welcome a little company. I'll fix us some chow, and then... Uh, we, we uh... Uh, we already had breakfast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, how about a cup of coffee, anyway? Well, that's, uh, that's mighty kind of you, but maybe we ought to get started. In case them outlaws did get past you during the night, we wouldn't want them to pile up too much of a lead on us. We could stop for food later. You boys sure are anxious. $1,500 is a lot of money. Well, that's true enough. Okay, oh, I, I guess I can hold off a couple hours. Get the horses, Link. Yeah, sure. Can I, uh, give you a hand with that bedroll? Mm, no, no. I can manage. Yes, sir. It was real lucky us bumping into you. How's that? I mean, you know on this trail and all. Otherwise, we'd have had to turn back. Yeah. Uh, you fellas may be off on a wild goose chase, you know. No, no, I, I just don't think so. Somehow I've got the doggondest feeling we're headed right. Well, as soon as I get scars saddled up, we'll start finding out. Easy, boy. Easy now. It wasn't much of a trail. Just a little rocky path that hugged the side of the mountain and wound around tighter and tighter like the string on the top. It was hard riding, too. Every now and then, we'd, we'd come to a horseshoe turn, and the horses had to cut so sharp they pulled their back legs in under their bellies and left us sort of hanging out over the ledge, looking down at an awful lot of air. Easy, 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 easy now. Boy, I got a hand of the Springer brothers. They, they didn't complain. I'd taken this route before, so I knew what to expect. It was all new to them, after three or four of these loops, though, they, they did start dabbing their foreheads with their handkerchiefs, but neither one of them said anything about turning back. And to tell you the truth, I was doing a little sweating myself. That's a pretty steep trail, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Now, these horses are getting tired. Maybe we ought to rest a spell next wide space we come to. They can keep going for a while yet. Well, maybe they can. I'm getting tired myself. He's right. Get... We can't risk a stumble not up here. Okay, okay. Ah, here. Ah, it looks like we're coming to a good spot up here. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa, sir. Oh, there, boys. Whoa. Oh, I'm afraid you boys are going to be disappointed. 
Huh? Uh, about that fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, there haven't been any fresh tracks along the trail. Leastwise, I haven't seen any. I was so busy riding, I didn't have time to do much looking. Well, if somebody was just ahead of us, you'd think we'd spot a sign of them here and there. Maybe somehow we got ahead of them. Well, in that case, there wouldn't be much point you fellas going on, would there? Well, we've come this far. We might as well go the rest of the way. All right, it's up to you. <sighs> sure he is hot. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon I won't be wanting that coffee after all. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. I'm getting rid of this jacket. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. I'd say, uh... That belt there, that mighty fancy belt you're wearing there, kid. Huh? I, I don't think I've ever seen a buckle like that before. Silver, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's silver. Yeah, it's real pretty. Too bad you got it all spotted up like that. Spotted? Yeah, that... That uh, looks like the sort of blood you got on there. Oh. Why, I... I, uh, I cut my hand the other day... Uh... It must have been when it happened. I, I didn't realize I'd smeared up my belt, though. So gone, it's probably have a heck of a time getting the leather clean again. Yeah. Yeah, blood stains are apt to be sort of permanent. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame, nice little belt like that. We'll return to James Stewart as the six-shooter in just a moment. Someday, science will find a cure for infantile paralysis. But it takes research. And this year, your March of Dimes is forcing a showdown with this terrible disease. It's testing a highly promising vaccine in the hope of proving this year that it can stop polio from crippling your child. Now, you can give these crucial tests, which are costing extra millions of dollars, an extra chance to succeed. Your help in paying the extra millions for polio prevention is urgently needed. Join the 1954 March of Dimes. Send your dimes and dollars to your local March of Dimes headquarters this week. Now, Act Two of The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart as Britt Ponsett. As soon as the horses were rested, we started off again. But the higher we got, the harder it was for the animals to keep moving. The air was thinner now. You noticed it every time you took in a gulp. And the trail seemed even fainter than before. Oh, a couple of times we missed it completely and just went off on a tangent. And then we had to swing around and try to pick up where we'd gone wrong. I'll never catch up with him at this rate. No, I wouldn't worry about it, Kit. What do you mean? I still haven't seen any fresh tracks. Looks to me like nobody's been through here since last rain. If you'd keep your eyes on the trail instead of looking for horseshoe marks, we might not get lost so often. Easy, kid. I told you boys you were letting yourselves in for something. Yeah, yeah, you told us. Well, come on, come on. Let's see if we can make up some time. I sure couldn't help notice that the longer we rode, the less friendly Kit Springer got. I sort of put it down to the fact that he must have been sort of worn out. We weren't taking any pleasure, John, that was for sure. I couldn't blame him for being a little down to mouth. But there was one thing that sort of troubled me about this fellow. Something he said kept pecking at the back of my brain. Oh, I, uh, I cut my hand the other day. Uh, that, that must have been when it happened. I, I didn't realize I'd smeared my belt. I shifted around and glanced back over my shoulder. Kit had one hand on the saddle horn and the other was gripping the reins. The cut must have been all healed up by now. At least he didn't seem to have any trouble with it. I cut deep enough to spot his belt that way. It must have taken several days to get well. Funny he'd never noticed the blood on his belt before I mentioned it to him. Well, one thing was certain. Kit Springer sure couldn't be much of a dude. The sun finally went down and we made camp for the night. We managed to find a pretty good-sized level spot right above the trail. Lex had built a fire. 
I cooked up a mess of beans and some pan bread. Kit didn't seem to be very hungry, though. Moon ought to be coming up pretty soon. Oh, another hour or so. Think it'll give off much light? Oh, some, I guess. Hmm. Not enough to see by, huh? To see what? Well, you said we were almost through the pass, didn't you? Ah, well, we've got a couple, three more miles. Well, why do we have to stop here, then? The horses oh, could feel no, their way. Just, just simmer down, Kit. Just simmer down. It's plain enough we're not going to run into those fellows you're after. They're e- either out of the pass now, or what's more likely, they never took this trail in the first place. That posse's probably captured them hours ago. Uh, some more coffee, Lex? Yeah, thanks. Kit? No, 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 I've had enough. Uh, there's a town on the other side of the pass, ain't there? Yeah, yeah, English Creek. Just a little bird. Well, spending the night there would be a whole lot better than sitting out here. You get a bath and a shave, change of clothing. Uh, you wouldn't want to risk your neck on the trail just for a bath, would you? Well, I guess not. But I ain't very comfortable wearing the same breeches and shirt day after day. Not so. I didn't figure you for the particular type. Well, you figured wrong, Mr. Fawcett. Kit's a real fancy Dan. Oh, that's so. all. Yeah, you ought to see him on Saturday night when he starts off for town. Looks like a real riverboat gambler. That's that's what he looks like. Well, there's nothing the matter with a man just because he tries to keep himself presentable, is there? No. No, nothing at all. Well, I reckon we might as well turn in. All right, you fellas go ahead. I'll bank the fire. You know, it's, uh, it's funny you never used this trail before. What's so funny about it? Well, seeing as how you live in Black Ledge. We never said we lived there. No. No, I guess you didn't. Come to think of it. But, well, since you were part of Sheriff's Posse, I sort of jumped at the conclusion. We were just passing through on our way to Beaver Junction. We heard about the train robbery. Seemed like the sheriff needed all the help he could get, so we volunteered. Not to mention the reward, of course. Not to mention the reward. Hey, by the way, uh, who is the sheriff of Black Ledge now? What difference does it make? Well, I'm just curious, that's all. Oh, I, uh, I don't remember his name. It wasn't time for any formal introductions. Folks just call him sheriff. Oh, yeah, I see. Big fella, is he? With a mustache? Look, Ponsett, you were the one who was so all-fired determined on us stopping for some shut-eye. So how about settling down? Sure. Sure. Night. Night. I rolled up my blanket and I turned my face toward the fire. And uh, As far as I could tell, the Springer boys hadn't been lying to me. A man could join up with a posse and not find out the sheriff's name. And I guess a man could ride himself half to death on the off chance of earning him $1,500 reward, if he had a mind to do it. Of course, it hadn't worked out. Kit's hunch on the train robbers were using this pass. It just hadn't worked out. But I'd played plenty of wild hunches myself. So I... About then, I dropped off to sleep. The last thing I remember is here in my mind, say, maybe you're wrong, Ponsett. Maybe those outlaws are using the pass after all. It just kept echoing through my head. Maybe you're wrong, Ponsett. What well, must have been six, seven hours later when I... At first, I, I wasn't sure what it was that woke me up. One of the horses, maybe. Ah. Oh, I started to drift off again. Lex. Lex! What's the matter? It's almost done. You gotta start moving. What about Ponce? Are you awake? I don't think so. Brett? Brett? I don't know what it was that kept me from answering back. But I just laid there, hardly breathing, not moving. Not even opening my eyes. Guess he's still asleep. Yeah. We ain't gonna need him the rest of the way, Lex. That's what I figured. Trouble is, he knows our names, what we look like. Sooner or later, he'd put two and two together. You didn't have to tell him who we was. I knew it would make no difference one way or the other. You, 
shoot him, kid. Nope. You are. Me? Yeah. I'm already wanted for a couple of killings, Lex. But they're only after you for robbery. Even though you're my brother, if the going got too rough someday, you might want to ease out of the partnership. You know better than that, kid. I'll know it for sure. After you kill Ponce. Well? Okay, kid. Whatever you say. I'll get the horses. Hurry it up. I heard Kit move off across the clearing. For a minute, that's all I heard. Then Lex started moving, too. I lifted my eyelids just a hair, and I saw him through the lashes. He pulled his revolver out of the holster. My gun belt was lying right beside me, and I inched my left hand toward it real slow so he wouldn't notice. I felt my fingers slide across a couple of stones, but the gun was still a little space beyond. I hadn't touched it yet. Alex was standing right over me now. I wasn't going to have much more time. If I didn't get a grip on that gun the next second or two, I'd... I'd spun over as he fired. But the bullet had seared my shoulder and dug into my chest. My right hand jerked up and I let fire. First I thought I'd missed him. I saw his fingers start to squeeze off another shot, but he, he never finished pulling the trigger. His whole body was shaking like an aspen tree, and he just tilted forward. I slid out of the way as he fell. I, I hadn't had time to feel the pain before now, but it started tearing through me so bad I almost let out a yell. One shot ought to have been enough to... Lex! Just hold it there, Kit. Rick, what? Seems you were right about the train bandits using his trail to, to, to. The words wouldn't come out. And everything started blurring in front of my eyes, and I could barely keep from dropping my gun. It was getting light now. Kit could see how bad I was shot. He whipped his revolver up from his side. The sound kind of jerked me back to my senses, and I managed to pull the trigger. I knew my aim wouldn't be so good, but it was good enough to send Kit diving back of a rock for cover. And there was a tree stump not not more than a couple of feet away, and I managed to roll myself behind it. I know you're hurt, Ponset. You can't hold out much longer. I sure wasn't in any way to argue with him. If I... If I could just get off a couple of more shots, maybe... Maybe he'd think twice before it, but I didn't have enough strength to... What's that? That, that couldn't be kit fired. I pushed my chin up to the edge of the stump. What? Are there horses coming up the trail from the same direction we'd come? And for a minute, I couldn't think who. But, and then I remembered... The posse. They, they've been following us all the time. That's why Kit was so anxious to stay on the move. Well, that's the sheriff, Springer. I wouldn't plan on going much further. I could see him. I knew he was calling his horse. There was only one way back trail. He had to ride past me in the open. I propped myself up against the side of his stump and I shifted my gun to my left hand and for a minute I thought the trigger was stuck and then I... (sighs) (sighs) He's coming too, Sheriff. Yeah, good, good. (sighs) How you feeling, Brad? What? Doc... Well, Doc Easton, are you? Yeah. What the Sam hell are you doing out here? <laughs> well, there's no law saying a doctor can't go along with a posse, is there? No, no. Well, for my sake, it's a good thing you did. Well, what about... What about Kit Springer? Did you... Did you catch up with him, Sheriff? You saved us the trouble, Brett. Why? Well, I, well, I couldn't have done that. He must have got away. That last shot of mine, that was a mile wide. Well, maybe you didn't exactly hit him, but you sure scared the daylights out of his horse. What? Yeah, we saw the whole thing from down below. Springer was just turning onto the trail when you fired. His horse reared and started slipping over the edge. Springer tried to jump clear, but he just couldn't seem to tear himself loose from that saddle. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing, Britt. When we finally found him, his body was still fastened to that saddle. Yeah. Yeah, the belt he was wearing had got caught onto the horn somehow. That must have been what drug him along when his horse fell. 
Transcribed NBC Radio Network production in association with Review Productions. It is based on a character created by Frank Burt and is written by him. Mr. Stewart may soon be seen in the Universal International picture, The Glenn Miller Story. Others in the cast were Eleanor Audley, Forrest Lewis, Bill Conrad, Joel Cranston, and Frank Gerstle. Special music for this program was by Basil Adlam. And the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. All characters and incidents were fictitious, and any resemblance to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. This is Hal Gibney speaking. Stay tuned for Father Knows Best, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Robert Young as Jim Anderson to star in Father Knows Best, and the story tonight, A Missing Salesman. Mother, is Maxwell House the best coffee in the whole world? Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons, brought to you by Maxwell House. The coffee that's bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee at any price. Maxwell House, always good to the last drop. Came the spring with all its splendor, all its birds and all its blossoms. All its flowers and leaves and grasses, and its sulfur and molasses. Of course, that's taking slight liberties with Mr. Longfellow and Hiawatha, but I'm sure you get the general idea. It's that lazy, easygoing time of year when it feels good just to sit around and, well, sit. Anyway, that's the way it is in Springfield, in a certain white frame house occupied by the Andersons. Like this. Betty. Betty. Did you say something, Mother? What on earth are you doing? I'm washing the dishes. I know, but you've washed the same dish four times. Now stop daydreaming or you'll never get finished. Yes, Mother. (sighs) (laughs) Mommy, I put all my things away like you said and I was just... What you doing? I'm taking down the kitchen curtains. What for? So I can wash them. Why? Kathy... Isn't there something else you have to do somewhere? I don't think so. Well, how about drying the dishes? Maybe there is something I have to do. (laughs) You'll find a dry towel behind the kitchen door. Start on these, frog face. Okay. Mommy, doesn't Daddy feel well? Of course he feels well. Then why is he sitting in the den? Who, dear? Daddy. He isn't, Angel. He and Bud are out in the backyard in the den. Uh Uh-huh. He and Bud. They're just sitting there. Well, we'll see about that. I'll be back in a minute, girls. Okay. Creepers, what a little snitcher you turned out to be. I'm not a little snitcher. All I did was ask for... I don't know what's gotten into those two. If I don't keep after them every second. Jim. Jim. Uh, You want me, honey? So, you are in the den. I thought you and Bud were going out to beat the rugs. Uh, we were just resting for a minute, that's all. Hi, Bob. Jim Anderson, before you rest, you're supposed to do something. Well, we did. Didn't we, Bud? What? Didn't we? 
Didn't we what? Do something. Oh, sure. We carried the living room rug out. And it's all ready to be beaten. It's heavy, too. Jim, one full hour ago, I asked you and Bob... Honey, you can't rush these things. You've got to be careful about them. After all, we've got good rugs, and we want to keep them that way. Don't we? It doesn't take an hour to carry one rug outside. Well, we were doing some research. Tell her about the magazine, Dad. But will you please let me handle this my way? I told you. Well, I thought maybe you forgot. I didn't forget. I expressly told you in the very beginning. What magazine? It isn't important, Margaret. Bud and I were merely looking through some old magazines, and, well, it isn't important. You said it'd get us out of beating the rugs. Bye. Jim, if you mean that idiotic article on the care of carpets... Honey, it is not an idiotic article. It was written by an expert. And he said you should never beat a rug. That's what he said. He said? Since when does a man know anything about cleaning anything? But, Margaret, this man's in the rug business. And he says... My grandmother Williams knew more about cleaning a house in two minutes than he knows in ten years... And she always beat her rugs. The man says that beating a rug does more harm than good. It breaks all the, uh, well, whatever it's gotten back. Doesn't it, bud? Hmm? <laughs> Doesn't it? You bet, Dan. I bet what? Uh, you bet. Jim, my grandmother Williams... Your grandmother Williams didn't have a vacuum cleaner. Of course not. They hadn't even been invented. But if they had been invented... She still wouldn't have used one. Why not? Because they didn't have any electricity. <laughs> but... Yes, Dan? Give me a hand with the rug. But you said... Never mind what I said. It'll be easier to beat the rugs. I'm in the den, Betty. Come on, bud. Roll it up and we'll carry it out. Holy cow. <laughs> Mother, I just thought of the most horrible thing. What if it's too cold for my yellow formal? Dear, it's no problem at all. You can always wear the blue one. Again? But, Mother... Lift your feet, will you, Betty? You're standing on the rug. Mother, how can I possibly wear that old thing? You'll think it's the only winter formal I have. Well, it is, isn't it? <laughs> That's what makes it so awful. But hurry up with that rug before something else happens. Want to help me lift the desk? Uh, just a second. Let's try explaining it once more. <laughs> Margaret. Jim, if you and Bud are too lazy to beat a few small rugs... Small? Bud, please, let me handle it. But she said small. Margaret, it is not a question of laziness. Bud and I are perfectly willing and anxious to do our share of the work around here. <laughs> what was that? I didn't say anything, Father. She said, eh. <laughs> Look, Betty, if you're unhappy with the way this household is being operated... Jim, are you or are you not going to beat the rugs? I'm trying to explain to you. The man said... Daddy! All right, Bud, grab the other side of the desk. But aren't you going to tell Mom what the man said? In this house, who can remember what anyone said? Grab the desk. Holy cow. Daddy, a man just came to the back door. Do you know what he was selling? I don't care what he was selling. Are you ready, Bud? Okay. Lift. Boy, that's heavy. Daddy, a man just came to the back door, and do you Kathy, know what... I've already told you I don't care what he was selling. Get off the rug, will you, Squirt? I have to roll it up. Jim, it won't hurt for her to tell you. Margaret, if you want us to beat the rugs... All right, Kathy. What was he selling? Swimming pools. Fine, we'll take five or six dozen... <laughs> what? Oh, Daddy, we need a swimming pool. Can't we please get one? Honey, feel her head and see if she's all right. <laughs> Kathy, are you sure... Lots of people have swimming pools, and I don't see why we can't have one. Mother, if I have to wear the blue formal again, can't I please take the shoulders off? 
Betty, the phone is ringing. I know, but all the other girls are wearing them without shoulders, and that's the least you can let me do. Betty, your mother asked you to answer the phone, and anything else can wait until... Pardon me, Dad, you're on the rug. <laughs> Leave the rug alone for a minute. But you said to roll it up. I said to... Betty, the phone! It only has two little straps anyway, and if I cut them off, it'll look all together different. I don't know. And it's red! What is? The swimming pool! Margaret, I think I'll go upstairs and lie down. You just got up! Men going around selling red swimming pools. All right, bud, let's get the rug outside. I just thought of something. What if it rains? It isn't going to rain. You can't be too sure, Margaret. Why don't we uh, wait a few hours and see? Jim? Grab the rug, bud. <laughs> I just thought of something else. What if... Bud? You want me to take this end, Dad? Either one. They're both the same. Father, did you see an envelope with a lot of writing on the back? But if you're going to take that in, you've got to turn around the other way. What for? So you can see where you're going. Or aren't you interested? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I never thought of that. Did you? Did I what? See an envelope with a lot of writing on it. Betty, can't you see I'm busy? Your mother insists on having the rugs beaten and... All right, bud, pick it up. Now? Yes, now. Okay. Who is that on the phone, Betty? Oh, I forgot. Father, Mr. Phillips wants to talk to you. Well, that's nice Just any time you get around to it Oh, I'm sorry, Father I happened to think of Janie Because that's who I thought it'd be And she needs the information I wrote on the back of the envelope And then I remembered I'd forgotten where it was That's all, huh? I think so Oh, there was one other thing Mr. Phillips said to tell you he was in a hurry <laughs> Thank you, Miss Amnesia of if it's a swimming pool. Gee whiz, I never get anything. You'll get plenty if you don't stop that complaining. Gee whiz. <laughs> I'm sorry, George, but... No, honestly, George, I haven't the strength to swing a golf club today. I really haven't. Okay, George. Thanks for calling. Sure, we'll do it some other time. So long, George. I wouldn't go around a golf course today if they carried me piggyback. Jim, I think you'd better come in here. Yes, dear. Fine thing. I'm too tired to play golf, and I've got to beat rugs. Father, I'm awfully sorry. Give him the letter, Betty. Give me what letter? I didn't know it was important, and anyway, I forgot all about it. Betty found the letter on which she made her notes. Good. Now, is everybody happy? They are. They won't be for long. The letter's from Mr. Gribble, and it's for you. What? It was next to the telephone, Father, and I didn't know it hadn't been opened. Give me that letter. But I thought you'd already seen it, and I didn't think... It isn't bad enough to have a son who steals all my neckties. Now I've got a daughter who hides my mail. Jumpin' creepers. I sent the man away, Daddy, and he said to tell Holy you... Holy jumpin' catfish. Do you know what this letter is? It's only the key to $20,000 worth of insurance. Why, Jim... Listen to this. Dear Jim, my friend Floyd Miller is here at my hunting lodge but he expects to be in Springfield a week from Saturday. I know you generally don't go to your office on weekends, so I'm taking the liberty of giving him your home address. He wants you to help him set up an insurance schedule, and I feel that an additional $20,000 policy... Betty, do you realize what you almost did? I'm sorry, Father. I didn't do it on purpose. Thank goodness it's next Saturday. The way this house looks today... Dad... Wait a minute. The letter's dated April... 
Betty, when did this letter arrive? Oh, about a week ago. A week ago? Oh, Betty. Dad, it's this Saturday. He'll be here today. Jim, what are we going to do? I don't know, but if anything like this... Oh, my gosh, the man at the door. Oh, dear. Dad. Kathy, uh, did the man say he was selling anything? You mean like swimming pools? Like anything. I don't know. He just said he wanted to see you about some business. Jim, where are you going? Don't you understand? That was Mr. Miller. I've got to stop him. Dad. What is it? Now can I put down the rug? <laughs> oh, no. Moments later, and the walk outside the white frame house on Maple Street is full of Andersons. Big Andersons, little Andersons, medium-sized Andersons. They're all involved in a gay little game called Button, Button, Who's Got Mr. Miller? Fascinating, isn't it? Kathy, you've got to help us. You're the only one who even saw him. Saw who? Mr. Miller. Oh, Angel, think hard. Did he have a car? I don't know. Uh, was there a car parked in front of the house? I don't know. Well, don't you know anything? I don't know. What a little dope. I didn't lose the letter. That's telling us, Squirt. You keep out of it. Well, stop picking on her. Kathy, try to think. When he left the house, did Mr. Miller walk over to a car? Jim, wouldn't it be easier to call Mr. Gribble? Honey, you can't call Mr. Gribble. You remember that rat trap he calls a hunting lodge? No lights, no phone, no water. No. What? He didn't. Who didn't what? Mr. Miller. He didn't walk over to a car. I just remembered. Well, now we're getting somewhere. He ran down to the corner. He ran? Jimmy Woody's dog chased him. <laughs> oh, fine. How to make friends and influence customers. Dad, maybe if I get on my bicycle. Just a minute, bud. We don't even know what he looks like. Gosh, that's right. It... Was he a tall man, Kathy? Well, pretty tall. That's a big help. What's pretty tall? Five feet, six feet, seven feet? Five feet. Kathy. Seven feet? <laughs> Let's just forget about that. Uh, was he wearing a coat? Oh, sure. And pants, too. <laughs> I mean, was he wearing a top coat? I don't think so. All right. So far, we know he's a man between five and seven feet tall, wearing a coat and pants. Do you remember what color his suit was? Oh, sure. It was uh, sort of a bluish brown. Now, there's a great description, if I ever heard one. Well, it was kind of blue and brown. How about his eyes? Oh, he had those all right. <laughs> I mean the color, dopey. Betty, if she can't remember the color of a man's suit, how do you suppose... I remember his eyes, Daddy. They were brown. Not bluish brown? Oh, no. I remember because he looked just like somebody we know. He did? Who? What? Who did he look like? You've got to remember. Try hard, Angel, please. Oh, I remember. He looked just like the Hathaway's Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that takes care of that. Jimmy, he couldn't have gone very far. That's right, Dad. He only left here a couple of minutes ago. I know, but which way did he go? He went that away. Betty. I'm sorry, Father. It slipped out. I couldn't help it. You can't help anything these days, can you? Well, it won't do any good to stand out here and argue. All right, let's go inside and argue. <laughs> I have a better idea. Kathy. Yes, Mommy? Suppose you run down to the bus stop and see if Mr. Miller's there. Okay. Margaret. Go ahead, Kathy. If he's there, do you want me to bring him back? Yes. Alive, if possible. <laughs> Bud, you can ride up and down all the cross streets and see if you can find anyone who, well... Looks like the Hathaway's Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> Jim, we're doing this for you. And I'm very grateful. 
Go ahead, bud. Say, I've got a great idea. I'll get the fellows to help me. Fine. If you see anybody wearing a coat and a pair of pants, ask him if his name is Floyd Miller. <laughs> okay, Dad. We'll make the Northwest Mounties look sick. Well? What? Where do I go? Uh, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> I didn't intend to. All right, Betty. Huh? You and I are going inside and straighten up the house. Creepers, we just got it pulled apart. Margaret, you don't think there's any possibility of their finding the man. Why, hey. Now what? There's a taxi. Maybe he saw Miller. Hey, taxi! Taxi! Come along, Betty. What a family. Nothing ever goes right. Taxi! Yes, sir. You want a cab, mister? Uh, not exactly. You see, we're looking for, uh... You didn't happen to see a man in a, well, a bluish-brown suit, did you? A what? Well, my daughter's the only one who saw him, and she said... Mister, I almost broke my neck getting over here, and you just want to ask me questions? Oh, no. I'll be glad to pay you for your trouble. You see, we're trying to find a man named Floyd Miller. He came to the house, but we didn't know who he was, and I told my you, daughter... You, uh, don't want a cab, huh? No. You see, I got a letter from a client of mine, J.P. Gribble, and he said... Where? So now they're hiring cowboys to drive the taxis in Springfield. Isn't that nice? Uh-uh. Oh, hello, officer. I was just telling the driver... I'll be telling him a few things myself. Can I see your license, please? What did I do? Officer, I'd like to explain... Just a second, please. What was that you said? I didn't do nothing. What did I do? And let's see now. Outside of making a U-turn, exceeding the speed limit, and parking on the wrong side of the street... I can't think of a thing. Well, sure. Officer, but... if you'll just let me explain. Dad, will you hear what I did? I got eight but guys. But I was talking to the officer. But I have to tell you, I broke the whole neighborhood up into districts. What an organization. And I told them to stop everybody who looks like a cocker spaniel. Like a what? Officer, you see, we're trying to find a I'll man... I'll see you later, Dad. I gotta keep going. Officer, uh, you've heard of J.P. Gribble. Now, wait a minute. What was that about a cocker spaniel? Well, that's what he looks like. Who? Uh, Floyd Miller. You see, he came to the house, and my daughter thought he was selling swimming pools. Oh, she did. <laughs> Tell him about the bluish-brown suit. You keep out of this. Well, that's what the guy said. Get out of here before I run you yes, in. Yes, sir. No, hey, wait a minute. That's not what he meant. Uh, now, look what you've done. I'm awfully sorry, but all I did was... Father, come in here. We found him. You did? Mother talked to Mrs. Gribble on the phone. Officer, I've got to go inside. You're staying right here. But why? What did I do? Uh, uh, nothing. <laughs> Nobody ever does anything in my beat. I'll be right in, Betty. Well, hurry. All I ever do, walk up and down. Nobody ever does where is he? What did Mrs. Gribble say? Isn't it wonderful? Mother had a hunch and called her, and she gave Mother the phone number. Honey, you're a genius. I've been telling you that for years. Remind me to kiss you later. I'll do that. Now hurry up and make the call. It's Rock Falls 235, ring six. Margaret, I'd love you even if you weren't rich. Oh, you just say that. Long distance is 113. Thank you very much. Well, I was just trying to help. Hello, long distance? Rock Falls 235, ring six. Honey, I... Oh, no, not you, operator. <laughs> I, uh, I want Rock Falls 235, ring six. Thank you. Isn't it exciting? Who do I ask for, Mr. Miller or Mr. Gribble? Uh, Mr. Finch. <laughs> Mr. who? Finch, like a bird. Who is Mr. Finch? He's a farmer who lives a mile away from the Gribble's Lodge. And whenever he goes by, he delivers messages. Oh, that's a great help. Well, it's certainly better than nothing. Oh, I suppose. Hello? Oh. Well, thank you very much. What did you say, Jim? The circuits are busy. Oh, fine. Dad, we found him. We found him. Bud, you'll hurt yourself. We found Mr. Miller. We found Take him. Take it easy, son. Let's not get all excited. Now, where did you find him? Cassie found him waiting for the bus. Creepers! He'll be here any second. I just knew. Wait a minute. Where are you going? I have to stop the fella. Bud! You're paying them five cents a block. I... Well, hurry up! I'll be back. Five cents a block? Eight boys, this can cost me a fortune. Margaret, maybe I better go help Bud round them up. You'll stay right here and round up the rugs. But, honey, we can't possibly get them... 
Holy jumping catfish, I haven't shaved. Well, you're not going to shave now. You take care of the rugs while Betty and I put the curtains back in the kitchen window. Honey, there isn't any... Come along, Betty. Yes, Mother. Margaret, he isn't going into the kitchen. He might. Rugs. How can I get the rugs? Daddy! Well... Hello, Mr. Anderson. Come right in. Thank you. Daddy, I found him waiting for the bus, just like Mommy said. I know, kitten. Bud told us all about it. Well, I'm certainly glad Kathy was able to find you. Oh, that's quite all right, Mr. Anderson. I was only too happy. Kathy, why don't you go into the kitchen and see if you can't help Mommy? Can't I even listen? This will be just business, kitten. It wouldn't interest you at all. Now, run along like a good girl. Gee whiz, I never get to do anything. She's a sweet child, isn't she? Yeah, she, uh... <clears throat> I hope you'll forgive the way the house looks. It's, uh... Well, you know how it is with spring cleaning. Oh, yes. Happens every year, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Oh? I think you'll get a kick out of this. We thought you were selling swimming pools. Swimming pools? <laughs> Isn't that the silliest thing you ever heard? <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly is. <laughs> swimming pools. <laughs> well, I suppose we might as well get down to business. Huh. All right, Mr. Anderson. I represent the little giant potato peeler, and I'm going to give you a demonstration of the finest kitchen aid this world has ever known. Oh, now, this is no. a one-piece, solid steel, rust-proof, tarnish-proof, full-proof kitchen gadget. coffee for your family this weekend, you'll be looking for the best value. And in coffee, that automatically means the best flavor. For after all, the enjoyment of truly fine flavor is what you really want from coffee. So take home the one coffee that's famous the world over for flavor, our Maxwell House coffee, in the familiar blue tin with the big white cup and drop. Then let your husband, the world's greatest coffee expert, enjoy that famous flavor. When he smiles and says, best coffee ever, you'll know Maxwell House is your coffee. And value? Well, count for yourself all the wonderfully satisfying cups you get from each pound. Yes, for coffee that gives you your money's worth and more in superbly delicious flavor, always choose Maxwell House. Coffee that's always good to the last drop. <laughs> It's later now in the hectic day, and the Anderson household is a buzz of springtime activity. Bud is busy beating rugs. Kathy is busy waxing tables. Margaret and Betty are busy with the curtains and drapes. And Jim, well, he's busy with the phone. Like this. Operator, we canceled the call to Rock Falls. I know, but... But... Oh, they're calling us. I beg your pardon. Yes, I'm ready. Thank you. Hello? Hello, J.P. How are you? Well, that's fine. Oh, sure, I got your letter. No, there wasn't any, uh... He what? Oh. Well, sure, I understand. Okay, J.P. Oh, not at all. See you next week. Thank you, J.P. Goodbye. Who was it, dear? It was Gribble. It was? What on earth did he want? Oh, he, uh, he just wanted to tell me about Floyd Miller, that's all. What about Mr. Miller? Well, it seems that he's going to stay at the lodge for another week. There isn't anything wrong, is there? Oh, no, he just sprained his back beating Gribble's rugs. <laughs> again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargey and the Maxwell House Orchestra. In our cast were Ted Donaldson as Bud, June Whitley, Rhoda Williams, Norma Jean Nilsson, Jack Boyles, Jerry Hausner, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. 
So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. Hear it on NBC. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Jill Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.